whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, guys. I am so excited today because we're, A, talking about my favorite subject, which is surfing. But more importantly, we have three of the four founding members of the Surf Collective Textured Waves on the pod today. We have Chelsea Woody, Danielle Black Lions, and Martina Duran. And we are... We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> We're so excited to have you guys on. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I think I first heard about you guys. Uh, I did the paddle out for unity and solidarity with Black Lives Matter in Montauk. And that was kind of the first time I, I guess I heard about you guys, that you were part of the organizers. And um, I have to say... I felt the unity, like it felt like the world was more connected because we were in the water and it was um, such a powerful moment. I agree. And I think it's awesome that it took place in Montauk, you know. Um, Well, maybe we could just jump right in and you guys could tell us a little bit more about your reasoning and journey behind founding Textured Waves. Sure. Um, I'll take a stab at it. Uh, We all met collectively online. So, um, you know, when you're an African-American female surfer, I think, you know, you're looking for community and that's what we all were looking for. And we found each other and we wanted to, create a space where women could see um, a a diverse uh, collective of surfers. So that's kind of how we began, um, just out of this need for community and um, sisterly camaraderie and um, shared experiences in the ocean. And what were the early organizing events that you guys started with? We did this is Martina. Um, we did do uh, some meetups, and uh, we did one kind of soft meetup in Waikiki, Hawaii, where we had a bunch of women from all over Hawaii, from California, from Florida. They all came out, and it was beautiful because, of course, there was a lot of surfing. But um, also we had some time to really connect and to talk because, you know, so often, you know, like Chelsea was saying, we all met online and we've connected online. But it is, you know, something of a deeper connection to be able to surf, you know, with your sisters in your community and to be able to have those conversations over a real dinner and things like that. So it's this this beautiful um week of just coming together so we did that i know um, we've done some screenings and some meetups in california and things and then COVID happened so (laughs) all of that kind of (laughs) 
Dang it. Oh, no. <laughs> I feel that luckily we've been able to connect to the ocean in that way um, during this time. But Danielle, I loved what you were saying earlier about how important it is to come at each session without a positive negative binary about your performance like surfing is a sport that is so based around community and there's no winner or loser it's just about approaching each session with the hope of gaining that healing experience which I love right yeah um I don't know the water is just so important in my life and um it's definitely my element for most things. Like if I'm feeling anxious or stressed, I, I know that I'll feel refreshed and whole again after I've been to the water. So it's kind of a ritual for me too. And it's a daily practice um, that I've rearranged my life around to make it so that I can participate in it and stay sane. <laughs> um, I don't start working until 11 o'clock most days for that very reason. So um yeah, I, I Ooh, nice. prioritize my life around the waves and just getting in that aquatic session each day that I can. Um, yeah, it's just, it's an essential part of who I am and um, my life and my family really respect that. So um, they let me have that time and create that space for myself so that I can be a better parent, can be um, a better spouse and a better friend, angry, <laughs> plus, uh, you know, more thoughtful, um, more loving, I guess I should say more and not less. Um, but yeah, it just, it makes me better. So I think everybody, should, you know, everybody needs something that makes them do yeah. good. I mean, it's the same, the same as people working out or, yeah. you know, yoga or what, you know, it's kind of, the same, only mm-hmm. maybe a little more thrilling. Yeah. yeah. It's like some people need to have their morning coffee to function and be yeah. like a good parent and a good family member. Yeah. But you're like, well, a surf session would also be yeah. great. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm interested to jump back into, Martina, what you were saying before about I want to hear about those early conversations in the founding of Textured Waves and maybe what that was like and how it has transformed those conversations now and what that advocacy work looks like now. Yeah. um, The early conversations were, you know, first and foremost centered around a lot about surfing and our love for surfing first and foremost, but also in our mutual recognition that, Um, the surf industry has historically and repeatedly not have included us into that narrative of what a surf, what a surfer is. And, um, you know, when we founded Textured Waves, we wanted to create community, you know, within the black surfing community and the women of color surfing community. But we also wanted to Uh, provide a platform, you know, to tell our story and to push out another narrative, like, listen, not all surfers are of one type, you know, there are other surfers out here. um, And we do enjoy this space and we deserve 
a space in this world as much as everyone else does. So we, um, when we first started, I think the four of us were very intentional that in the future, um, you know, if I guess brands wanted to work with us or people wanted to work with us through our textured waste page, we were really intentional in that it was in a way that truly promoted our deep feeling of what it means to be included in this and not just to be tokenized, you know, um, to check off a diversity check. And so how that's transformed into today is, um, you know, a lot of, we've had these conversations with a lot of brands and we've had these conversations with our community and our surfing community, um, you know, why it's important to have multiple narratives in the space and why it's important to, to a brand that they do diversify their imaging and their marketing and things like that. And I think now I, I feel, and Danielle and Chelsea, you guys can chime in, but I think people are starting to listen more and they're, they're starting to understand the need to have a di as diverse of a surfing world as the world is, you know? So yeah, it's been, a, it's been a, it's been a beautiful evolution that I've been witnessing within the surf community. I mean, I noticed like years, years ago too, that there's been, I mean, not all, not only uh, very little diversity, but also the objectification of women in the sport where, mm -hmm. you know, dudes are always shown like grabbing a rail in the, yeah. you know, oval off, whatever. And, and then the women are just like leaning on a car in a really skimpy bikini and they all look, all the women look the same. And mm -hmm. it just made me so mad, you know? And um, that's when I started, you know, I was like, I have to make all sizes and, you know, show this on all different kinds of women. And, you know, it just became really like so almost like it became shocking to me that that's how the surf women in the surf industry were portrayed. So really yeah i mean it's like when that happens i think all women can relate to this this sort of gaslighting happens right where you start questioning well am i woman enough am i surfer enough you know because i don't wear the skimpy bikini does that mean i'm a real surfer because i don't look like this does that mean i'm a woman you know in this way you know and i think it's important that not all you know like you've done in your brand and others that you know, we show the beauty and diversity of what it means to be a woman because there's no one definition of that. It's a, it's a spectrum. And it's important that I think all of us see ourselves in that spectrum. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I didn't start surfing till I was 39. So <laughs> trust me, I was not like the cheeky bikini girl out there. You know, I was like, okay, you know, take it or leave it, guys. Here's my, you know, here's what I look like in a wetsuit. And it doesn't, you know, I never, I had to not care. And I had to just stay, stay up, you know, stand up for myself and say, you know, this is who I am. And I love this sport and I love being in the water and, you know, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <I look different. laughs> but anyway. 
Um, for Chelsea and I too, like we both have been cold water surfers. So we did not ever wear those bikinis <laughs> in our lineups. I used to surf in Oregon and she surfed in Washington and Northern California. So we definitely can't relate to that image. I live in Southern California now, but I'm still all about that one piece life. So um, <laughs> I think it's about function. You're, you know, you're passionate about your sport, you know, something that will actually, you know, hold up when you are ducking under a, a gnarly side wave um, or can handle a wipeout. So, you know, not everybody feels that way. Some people want to look cute or they feel good when they're wearing certain things. I'm not trying to, you know, bash anyone, but. Um, to each their own, but I, I'm all about function personally. <laughs> yeah, same, yeah. same. Um, should we talk about, do you want to talk, should we talk about See Us Now, making the movie in, in Mexico? Because yeah. it's so beautiful. Yeah, so See Us Now uh, was made in collaboration with us, us when we're brand Messia. And, um, you know, it was a storyline that I had developed a few years ago, and I I surf in Santa Cruz, so if you know the history of surfing, you know that first came to the mainland here in Santa Cruz, and a lot of the surf history, uh, there's a great surf history here, but I noticed, and I think all of us will notice when we look back, um, that there just isn't much imagery of uh, black women in that time period as surfers. So um, for me, and I think all the other ladies, they, they were luckily they were on board with this idea that I had. Um, uh, we wanted to see a marriage of uh, black females in that time period of like the 50s and 60s, this nostalgic period that I think that a lot of surfers dream of and consider being the good old days. Um, we wanted to see a marriage of black women in that space. So um, creating the film was, uh, a, this woman Bram Lucia reached out to us and um, yeah, it, it, they were on board with the idea and we wanted to make sure that we had creative control over that, and that our voices were heard. So, um, we also wanted it to be seen through the lens of an African-American female director. So we were able to get Bethany Mollenkoff on board and that was new too. Uh, it's not often that you see a, a, a surf film that's made by a black woman. And I don't know if there's ever been one actually. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe not, so, maybe not. That is so. I don't think so. And, you know, to get an outside perspective, um, something that wasn't completely, uh, some, a director that wasn't in the surf industry. So that, that was a different perspective as well. Um, and we filmed a few days in California and then it was too cold to shoot in um, California. So we did the water footage in Mexico. So. Nice. Um, the other ladies can add to it as well, but it was a very beautiful experience because, you know, besides the water crew, uh, it was an all-female um, collaboration, which was, uh, I don't know, there's something really magical about it. 
it was like if we, uh, to me it was like endless if you remade endless summer mm-hmm. but with all women <laughs> black women and in you know like a really it was sort of like that you know it had that endless summer vibe but in a way more modern and beautiful way yeah and i think that's what we wanted we wanted it to be vibey and dreamy and you know just like you're imagining this beautiful scene and um yeah i yeah i think that that was kind of our goal there is to make sure that we also portray that this is us now we're not stuck in the past and, mm-hmm. um you know now the constraints that society placed on women during that time period mm-hmm. um you know our hair was you know natural and free and um you know we were breaking barriers that maybe you know our ancestors were not allowed to uh break so um yeah yeah got it <laughs> so textured waves just speaking of hair textured waves is a is a term for a wave in the water, mm-hmm. but it's also totally appropriate. Totally. For yeah. Because yeah. Yeah. we're all curl friends. Yeah, so maybe you guys could just touch on um, the connection there between natural hair and the name Textured Waves and how that all came about. Yeah. Um, I think we can all talk about this, but Textured Waves, we wanted to be able to, you know, bridge the natural beauty of uh, how we are um, and riding waves. So how our hair naturally stands on our head um, and the beauty of uh, riding waves and um, having that connection to the ocean. And, you know, um, when you get into the ocean, your hair is going to come out however it does. And, we wanted people to to feel comfortable embracing that, regardless of your race, I think, and whatever hair texture you have, um, just to be proud of that in your natural state. I think all of us have had, um, I think, relaxers or processed our hair in some form or fashion to, you know, make us conform to this European ideal of beauty that really isn't always achievable or sustainable for one that's in there. Um, and becoming surfers and water women, it's pretty much impossible to maintain that standard of beauty. So um, being a water woman, you have to learn to embrace that natural state and let your hair go and let go of the ego that kind of goes along with it and find yourself in this other form, like accepting yourself in your natural state with your natural beauty and looking at yourself in a different way. I mean, I never thought I looked the same with my hair straight as I do curly. And I don't, but I also didn't think I looked as beautiful with my hair curly as it was when it was straight because I was told by people that, you know, I looked more, I don't know, like the norm, like what I should look like with straightened hair. Um, so I had to reach my brain um, and, you know, let go of the ego and learn to love myself with this curly mop of hair that I've always had on my head, you know? Um, It took a lot of years and there's a lot of trauma that's kind of intertwined with that too, because I've been, you know, I think we've all been told at some point that 
our hair isn't right or it's not tidy or it's not appropriate for the workplace or you know it has to be a certain way for school picture day or for a special event like oh you're not going to wear your hair curly on my wedding day are you you're straightening it right like people expect you to straighten your hair for special occasions when you're a woman of color like that means you're going to look neat and appropriate and you know fit in so um there's a lot of unpacking right there just with hair for women of color and that's a big part of what we try to just I think help other people embrace like and love themselves and um, we offer a lot of tips on our blogs about treating your hair and how to take care of it and manage it when you're in and out of the water Um, that's just something that we try to focus on and really help people navigate because it is it's a lot to unpack no I think you know having something that you love to do like that, I think gives you a certain amount of confidence and along with it, acceptance. And you're just like, this is who I am and I'm having the time of my life exactly. and you know, take it or leave it. Exactly. <laughs> you know, exactly. it's sort of like, you know, you're not thinking about, you're thinking about what you're doing. You're not thinking about what people think about you because you're just doing it and just having a great time you know yeah can you guys give us a tip for curly hair that's often in the ocean (laughs) I always like to say because being in the ocean is obviously you're exposing your hair to all types of elements um just to make sure that you uh, fuel your hair the same way you want to fuel your body and keep it healthy, right? So restore those nutrients, use conditioners. Um, we advocate um, eco-friendly products um, that stay away from harmful chemicals. Because so not only is that going to be better for your hair, but it's going to be better for the environment and the ocean that you enjoy that's around you. Um, so, yeah, it's hard to give... Uh, a one tip for all because each texture responds to different products differently. So instead, I just like to say, you know, um, just nourish your hair and give your hair the same amount of nourishment as you do your body, you know, and, you know, just like for some people, some foods don't work for you, you know, find the things that do work for you and find the products that you do work for you. And honestly, um, the more you stick to those (laughs) eco-friendly products the better it is for your hair regular trims yeah <laughs> yeah regular trims too yeah <laughs> which we've been doing ourselves now yeah. you know during during quarantine i mean i always was you know kind of diy with most of my beauty stuff but especially now cutting Coloring, touch yeah, up yeah everything. Um, well, I'm interested to know when you guys first started surfing, who you looked up to and who were your mentors and I guess how important mentorship is and seeing women that look like you in the water surfing has been to your guys's surf journeys. Huh. Um, as far as women of color, 
Um, I think that I, I gravitated towards Carissa Moore oh. as a surfer, just because she just embodies something different. Like she's very comfortable. She seems in her skin and yeah. um, she's just an amazing surfer also. Uh, yeah, and then of course there are some legends that we love. We love like Mary Mills and Andrea Cabasa, but we don't get to see a ton of images of them. And yeah. I don't think that when I first started, I saw a ton of images of them, just a few scattered images. <laughs> but now, now you guys are are the mentors that young <laughs> women will, of color will look up to. And hopefully I think surpass. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and hopefully, sur- yes. I'm quite sure they will surpass. Yes, <laughs> just because we started so late, right? Mm-hmm. We hope that somebody's a Grom starts, you yeah. know, when they're like five or six, or you know, in their elementary years, where they can be much better than we were, have the opportunity to be much better. So how, like, how do you think we all can encourage more kids, more women to get out there and get in the water and especially women of color? I think representation is a huge part of it. Um, Having a visual reference of what is possible really does motivate folks to try new things. I think I probably would have started much sooner had I seen a black woman surfing when I was a young girl. Um, I looked up to a lot of Hawaiian surfers because that was the closest reference I had, just like Chelsea, um, like Megan Abubo and, um, you know, um, I think brain parts right now, Lee Manuel is another one that I admire, Coco Ho. But um, yeah, I think, I think you really have to have that visual in order to to have something to strive to be, right? So um, I think brands need to take more ownership about having those those um, examples for people to strive for, and you know, not just models holding boards, but you know, actual surfers and creative content of surfers and women of color in the water, um, catching waves, and um, you know, living that lifestyle and living their truth. I think that's really important and valuable. And, um, you know, creating access is another part of it. I think that there's lots of organizations out there that are doing that and they're doing it really well, but um, there also needs to be beyond the, the first push into that first wave, what happens after that. And that's kind of why we created Textured Waves because we weren't seeing much beyond that, you know, that initial first wave, like what happens to black surfers after they catch that wave that's kind of the end of the story for a lot of us. And um, that's not true. I mean, that's just the reference that we're seeing. That's the visual that we're seeing the same narrative over and over. And um, there are women out there surfing and catching waves and riding waves and they're doing it well. They're just, you know, they're not being seen. So I think um, when you have a platform offering that to people and, um, you know, lifting each other up and elevating people is the best way that you can go about making change, any small way that you can make change, I think is important at a local level. Definitely. Well, um, (laughs) 
I, I would love to hear your guys' thoughts about like the professional surfing world and what equality looks like in professional surfing versus um, on like an amateur level. And um, yeah, just what the what the differences are there, especially now that surfing is going to be in the next Olympics. Um, I think... I think there is a big difference, but I don't think the difference is necessarily in skill level, but more so in having to force your style of surfing in the box of what's going to score well, if that makes sense, you know, Um, and being very well versed on different types of ways because how the WSL is set up. You know, there's contests all around the world in different types of waves and being very fluent and surfing all of those type of waves. Um, and obviously, it, it, a lot of skill, right? You have to be a, at the top of your, your game. I guess what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of a competitive surfer versus a free surfer. I don't know if that was what you guys were going at. Um, but a free surfer to me is someone, it's just like the words that they're a free surfer. They surf what wave calls to them. They surf in a style that speaks to them. Um, they put on, you know, their own stamp or flair to how they surf. Um, you know, usually too, when you are a free surfer, I know like, because professional surfing is very expensive and, um, Contests we are very expensive. You also, I mean, you have to have some sort of sponsorship, right? Um, and I think free surfers can be free of that in a way, and they can do unbranded type films or, you know, just do the things that really speak to that. Um, but I think an entryway into that is the competitive circuit because a lot of free surfers started as competitive surfers, right? And they they uh, worked their way up through the circuit. They rent, they won tours, won awards, and then they got to a point in their life like, okay, I don't have to do this anymore. Now I'm going to surf um, from a different place. Um, but yeah, those are the differences for me that I see in the two. Um, I do think competitive surfing though is really relevant because. Um, Bringing it to the Olympics is what brings it mainstream and what brings it to a broader audience. People who don't surf do not watch free surfers, but people who don't surf will watch the Olympics, right? So um, seeing those athletes on the Olympic stage, I think, is going to ignite kind of this new, um, I guess, frenzy to get into surfing. I think the same way that the Magnificent magnificent seven did with gymnastics in the usa when they came out you know a lot of little girls saw that and they wanted to do gymnastics and i think it's going to have a similar (laughs) it's going to have a similar effect um in the olympics so um, for sure i'm interested to see um it's unfortunate that they were to postpone this year but i'm really interested to see how this is going to play out for the world of surfing as we know it because i think we are going to see a shift for sure yeah i think it's going to be there's it's going to create a huge much bigger awareness and especially for female surfers Um, yeah i'm i'm excited when it does happen yeah (laughs) 
hopefully next year, right? <laughs> yeah. It'll still yeah. Be, it's in Japan still, right? It's same. I, it'll be postponed a year. I think so, yeah. And hopefully we'll see that diversity that we've maybe been looking for mm -hmm. uh, in countries that have ripping surfers like Senegal and Brazil. Oh, yeah, those Senegalese surfers, those yeah. girls ripped. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. other countries around you know the globe that do have that representation that we don't unfortunately see here in the yeah. states. So yeah, I think they're hoping isn't. I think there there is one or two. There are one or two women from Senegal going to the Olympics, right? Um, um, I think I don't think on the current roster. If you look at the Olympic roster. Uh, yeah, I know that there's there's a there's a I don't know Danielle and Chelsea chime in if I'm wrong on this, but I think there is um, training for the Olympics happening. But for the 2020 Olympic Tokyo roster, because they were very specific on the criteria, it was only they were only accepting I think 24. It was only so many from so many countries. It was a very competitive roster, and I think I don't know that any of the Senegalese women made it, unfortunately, but I think they are training for it. You know, I think it is. A yeah. Goal, a yeah. Goal. They definitely are training. I've seen some stuff. Um, wait, which now brings me to your favorite place you've surfed and where you'd like to go that you haven't been. Oh, I'll Senegal. I love, I love Senegal. But <laughs> Yeah, I my favorite place I've ever surfed, and it's it's you know as surfers I'm not going to break the rule and name the spot, but there is a spot in no, just the country. Just oh, the, the country. country. Okay, my favorite <laughs> my favorite place. There's a place in Florida that's really near and dear to my heart where I've surfed. Really? Uh, yes, it's people from that community will know exactly what I'm talking about. But it's just very, it's just a beautiful place and. Some place I would want to surf, I would, I would probably want to surf. Um, I know Indonesia. I've never been to Indonesia. That's always been high up on my list. So I live in Hawaii now, so um, it's not too far from me. So um, yeah, that's one place I want to go. No. Hi. My favorite place to surf is Indonesia. So we should go, Martina. And I think somewhere I want to serve maybe is like Patagonia or somewhere chilly. Uh, I mean, um, like somewhere cold. <laughs> really? We Iceland, you can surf in Iceland. It's kind of Iceland was yeah. amazing. Yeah. My idea of like a thick suit is I double up two spring suits and then I'm like, okay, this is good. I don't want to put a fall suit on. <laughs> um, I think my favorite spot to surf has been Nicaragua recently. Oh yeah. Um, super beautiful. I won't say where. Um, and then I would love to surf um, Peru or South Africa. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. Ooh, sharks! Yeah, I was that's just gonna, gonna say. say. <laughs> There's some big fish there. The sharks are always there. They're, we're not on their menu. I don't think about them. Yeah, I, yeah. I, 
that's the first isn't that the first question everybody asks yeah. you like yeah. aren't you afraid of sharks yeah yeah I, know. I did though i we paddled out at the lighthouse yesterday um and i realized while while i was out there that i was wearing a jaws trucker hat <laughs> And people can't be like, why are you wearing that here? Like, that's a bad omen. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's kind of where we can end off. If there's places where our listeners can find you guys and keep following along with your work. Yeah, our website is texturedwaves.com and our handle is at texturedwaves on social media all right so i'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today as always you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures then you can follow us on instagram at cynthia rowley and at kit keenan thanks for listening (laughs) 